G'day Andy Socialites, this is Ryan Quarrington here. You might remember me from episode 227 and from South Australian band Shatterbrain and Alkira. I'm momentarily commandeering this episode to plug Shatterbrain's debut album, Pitchfork Justice, which is out now via Wormhole Death Records. It's available for streaming wherever you stream your music, or if you're a fan of old school physical, you can pick up a CD or a vinyl along with any other band paraphernalia you can think of via our online store at shatterbrainmetal.com. Thanks for listening, over to you Andy and Larry. Sorry, patreon.com slash Andy Dowling is the place to go to support this little podcast of mine. I can't even talk, I'm going crazy here. Patreon, 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 Patreon. Support starts from only a buck a month, dirt cheap. There are additional tiers there if you want to get access to exclusive content like my patreon podcast that comes out every tuesday morning 6 a.m sydney time into your ear holes into your inboxes that you can enjoy just a little bit of extra fun for your week go over to patreon.com slash andy love to see your support it goes into the podcast it covers editing hosting gear getting around the place which i'm not really doing at the moment but you know what i mean it's supporting the podcast and it keeps me motivated to continue to get great guests like this one coming up right now Hello folks, Andy Dowling is my name and podcasting is my game. Welcome to the Andy Social Podcast, uh, another episode in your ear holes this week. Um, I've got no idea what episode number this is because I'm recording a bunch of intros in advance, all out of whack, um, trying to be efficient, but uh, it does mean that I've got no idea what the hell the order of all these episodes are. It is what it is. Nonetheless, this week's episode is with Jared Bridgman. Jared is the bass player and vocalist for Perth slash Melbourne band Earthrot. Earthrot. Like one of the best band names out there. Uh, you can go to earthrot.com.au. They're on the socials. There's a bunch of stuff online. I'm going to dump it all in the show notes over at andysocial.net and andydowling.net. Uh, Earthrot's got a brand new album that came out earlier this year called Black Tides of Obscurity. Uh, I'm pretty sure the first song in my 2020 metal playlist is uh, a track from their latest release. So you can go and check that out. I'm sure I'll have a Spotify link or two in the show notes over at andysocial.net. But here we go. Enough waffling on from me. Please enjoy this really, really cool chat with another legend who has been added to the Andy Social list of legends, Jared Bridgman. You mentioned before uh, that... um you're pretty much all set up anyway because uh, you've been doing a bit of gaming with the guys or the lads, yeah. I should say. Um, yeah. What What have you been playing? Like, what's 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 the go? Uh, I have been playing Magic: The Gathering via like webcam <laughs> setup. Wow. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's just all all mates from like my old housemates and my drummer and some other some other blokes from kind of heavy music scene all play, and we're all in Melbourne, so lockdown has absolutely stopped it dead. And then maybe two or three weeks ago, we came across this free web app called Spell Table, and it lets you like hook up your web. So we're all sitting there running like, you know, drum boom arms and mic stands and stuff like dangling phones and webcams off it. So you get the aerial view of our cards and then we're wow. playing with that. Yeah. Playing with actual physical paper cards over the internet. <laughs> How cool is that? Um, I, yeah. I mean, I've never, I've never played Magic, but I obviously know it and it's been around for what feels like Dude, donkey's 30 years. years or something. Yeah, crazy. Um, 
What's, I mean, just, I guess maybe for my own benefit, just for selfish reasons, but maybe for anybody else who's never played it, what's, what's the general gist of the game? Like what's, what's the overarching concept? Pretty much you cast like creatures and spells and stuff and try and defeat your, defeat your opponents. But uh, the way we play, it's kind of four, four player, like everyone against everyone. So you can get cheeky and set up some kind of alliances with other members and, you know, trade off and defend each other and stuff against someone that's uh, that's a little little stronger at that time. And I'm playing like the deck that I was playing today is all goblins, so it's a little bit heavy metal, <laughs> dirty dirty goblin creatures and dragons and stuff like that. It's pretty power metal. <laughs> I was just going to say, it sounds like something that I should stereotypically be playing, not you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Oh, man. Have you been, I mean, as you said, like, you know, the guys that you're playing with are all, all in Melbourne as well. So obviously with what's been going on, well, for the for the large part of the year, but especially for you guys in the last, you know, couple of months or so, it, I mean, is this just a common theme now where you guys are just trying to find ways to entertain yourselves and just try and keep your sanity? Yeah, yeah, pretty much anything we can do to make it feel like we're hanging out when we can't actually hang out. So... I, the way the current state of things is you're allowed to see like your intimate partner and that's it. So if your current housemates don't, you know, don't play or you just get sick of them because everyone's working from home and you, you see the same people 24 hours a day for six weeks, uh, it's just our way of trying to get the gang together and catch up and, you know, we can get on Discord and have a chat and put some tunes in the background, listen to a little bit of Bon Jovi and... <laughs> Just have some, just have some fun, catch up like old times. You know, sometimes if you know if we're playing on weekends or Friday nights, have a couple of drinks and yeah, throw some cards around. It's cool. I mean, look, I I feel for you guys down there. I mean, yeah, you know, we've we've certainly you know we've had we've had our stints earlier in the year and yeah, and obviously I don't think anywhere apart from Perth. Perth, I was going to say nowhere else it seems to be back to normal except for Perth. Uh, I'm yeah. sure you've seen the photos from uh, Slayfest. Oh, um, I sold out show. It looked beautiful. It, it just, it looked like, it just looked like nothing's happened over there. It looks like the only place in the world that just seems to be normal. But, yeah, um, totally. But yeah, I mean, uh, I can, I can appreciate from afar what you guys have been going through and it's just, um, I think the big thing is just like the sanity levels because there's so much noise going on. I mean, obviously everyone's folk, uh, forced to have to stay at home and you're isolating and there's a lot of, you know, the mental health stuff and trying to you know, what you guys are doing, trying to keep some connection going and some, some human co- connection without sort of actually being, you know, in each other's presence. And, um, but then there's just so much noise out there as well. I mean, especially down, down your way with whether it be protests or, or just, you know, opinions and fucking Facebook feeds and whatever it might be. And it's just, it's an absolute nightmare. So it's just this, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm sure you can, you can tell me otherwise, but it seems like there's just this extra level of pressure on everything you know, and it's all amplified because you're just stuck in your little cabin. Yeah, I think a lot of people are maybe not as aware that they're a lot quicker to jump to frustration because they've been stuck at home. Like people are reacting, but they're not able to stop and go, why am I getting so pissed about this so quick? Um, And like, it is super frustrating. Like I kind of go through, I feel really good for a couple of weeks and I'm like working out. And then like the last two days, I've had just solid wall-to-wall migraine for two days, which I'm mm. pretty sure is just the stress of sitting around doing nothing because I work in live music. So for me, I've been totally without work or study since March. Um, yeah, which is it, 
just weird. Like I got, you know, I think I started working when I was 13 at like my first job at Macca's and now it's like six months straight with no work. And I'm just, it's just, it's really confusing because your brain doesn't know what to do. And it's like, well, you know, you guys are musicians, go write some songs. (laughs) I, about, about two months into, into the whole COVID thing, uh, my amp blew up and I took it to an amp tech and then we got put into stage four lockdown and so it's fixed, but I can't go get it. <laughs> so I don't even have a guitar amp to play at the moment. So it's like just next level frustration. It's just, it's it's in amplifier jail at the moment. You, you can't, can't get bailed out at all. <laughs> totally, totally. And the, the way, I, I guess there's not really a, a clear cut grouping for like guitar amp repairmen in their plan for like stepping open everything. And it's like, Oh, you know, dog groomers are allowed to open and haircuts and stuff like that are all, all going to be back on the menu. But can I go get my amp? I don't know. (laughs) And I really can't risk a $2,000 fine because the amp's not even worth that much. Oh man. That's it's, it's, I mean, that's, that's the thing about all of this is that there's so many layers of complexity to it where just, I think everybody, like, you know, from the top to the bottom, everyone's sort of going, oh, shit, didn't think about that. You know, I didn't think about that being impacted or, you know, the chain reaction of this particular action we're taking now and what sort of impact that's going to have, you know, several cogs down the down the line. And just everyone's just constantly sort of going, oh, 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 yeah, that too, that too. And and it's, it's bad because, I mean, I sort of, I don't, I, I'm... I've got no clue when it comes to politics and things like that. I'm pretty, I'm pretty quiet on that front because I've just, I'm not, I just don't know enough to sort of have a strong opinion, but, um, I just, I can think any individual human being that's got to try and wrap their head around something like this, uh, I just feel for them. And I think it's just a case of there's so many considerations and so, so much complexity around something like this, where you're pretty much stopping society as it is and everybody has to adjust and it's like, okay, well, how do all these crazy little scenarios and different variations of life survive and adjust to it. And it's just, oh man, it's, uh, yeah, yeah no, no it, wonder you're getting a migraine. Yeah. It's, it's a big one. It's really something I think as well, like in Australia, we've just never had to deal with mm. like a lot of our friends in Southeast Asian countries where they've had, you know, SARS and bird flu and things over the last decade or so that countries have like procedures and they know they go, Oh, okay. So it's going to be one of those, you know, a couple of months where we're really distanced and everyone wears masks and it's not so weird because they've kind of done it before in their lifetime. But in Australia, we definitely haven't. And yeah, like most people are just, I get, I I think a lot of people are struggling with the empathy factor because we're all just going a little stir crazy and it's really hard for some people to go, okay, look, you know, as much as I don't give a shit about the footy, uh, I understand why they put time and energy into getting that back going because if everyone's stuck sitting at home, uh, Victoria is a big AFL state and it gives people something to watch on the TV and that'll maybe keep them entertained for a couple of hours a day. Um, and there's, like you're saying, there's just so many different working components and different cogs and different industries and sub industries and types of businesses. It's like every day there's a slight adjustment to try and include or incorporate something new to help someone not fall through the cracks. Yeah. Oh, it's fascinating. It's It's like when we first did the, the initial lockdown um, across the country and and they let uh, bottle shops stay open. And I remember a lot of people going, why the fuck would you leave them open? It's not essential. Not. And and someone really, I mean, I can't remember who it was, but a few people have echoed this since then. But it was incredibly smart for them to do something like that because, well, 
to begin with, you've got people that deal with alcoholism and so they've got addiction. And so for to have some suddenly not only a pandemic, but to have a pandemic of people going through withdrawals and then clogging up the hospitals and the system, it's just an additional thing. And then obviously that, that causes a whole bunch of other issues. But I think you need to have, you know, whether you, whether you, you know, you, whatever your stance is on alcohol or any sort of drug or substance or anything like that, just to psychologically give people the opportunity if they feel it's necessary to go and grab a bottle of wine or grab a six pack or whatever it might be just to take the edge off and, and just escape for even a moment in time or something like that. And I think just those little psychological tweaks to, or considerations along the way are, are, are massive. And I think, you know, a lot of people sort of, and rightfully so, you sort of knee jerk react to it and you go, Oh, like, why the fuck are they doing this? Why are they doing that? And you're not sort of spending the time or the extra 30 seconds to go, oh, there's actually a, there's a method to the madness here. Yeah, definitely. Like we were saying, like, a lot of people are extremely reactionary right now and probably not looking at why anything happens, only that it is. Hmm. Um, and, like, little things like alcohol as well. Like, it's it's really easy to be like, oh, you know, again, I don't drink or I don't need to drink often, therefore I don't deem it essential. But... I think there's still value in little things like the culture of people having a glass of wine with dinner. It kind of makes things feel a bit more normal. Yeah. And it is like alcohol is a, you know, is a big part of the culture in Australia and not even necessarily binge drinking. Um, but like all around the world, people have, you know, a drink as part of their, like part of their routine, the end of the week, or, you know, just like some, you know, something with dinner or whatever. And I think that that thought process just goes out the window because it's like lockdown, everyone do absolutely nothing. It's like, no, you can't. I mean, they don't want, you know, nobody wants to lock down everything. That's bad for everybody. But it's, uh, yeah, it's hard to put yourself in other people's shoes when you're, when you're getting things taken away from you that you have never had to deal with before, even temporarily. Mm. And I think the, I think the other weird thing about this, which I don't think anybody's, well, at least in any of our lifetimes have ever experienced is the whole, everybody's like impacted the same way, more or less. Like everybody's having their own version of being locked down, whether they're actually locked down or not, it's another thing, but everyone's being restricted or have been forced to have to adjust or experience change. And so what you said before about empathy, it's, it's, it's another challenge again, because, you know, if, if somebody like, you know, maybe 12 months ago, there'd be some sort of tragedy in the world and part of the world's been impacted by some sort of catastrophic event or something like that and then the rest of the world sort of bands together or society bands together and they feel for them and they give empathy and charity and all sorts of stuff but now everybody more or less is going through some form of adversity on different levels and so whenever somebody sort of pipes up to say i'm going through something then everybody else is sort of in the back of their minds i guess in a bit of autopilot to go i'm going through something too you know and so it's it's harder for I think people have got a little bit more self-awareness are okay and they can sort of navigate it. But I think people that don't have a lot of that are quick to sort of go into the defensive mode and say, well, you know, I'm worse off than you, or you can't complain because I'm going through the same stuff or I'm going through my own version. And, and so the empathy thing's a real, like you've got to squeeze it out of people now. I think it's a, it's a bit different. It's <laughs> yeah. a real weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know, people, people complaining about being stuck at home, feeling like prison. It's like, okay, are you like, forced to stay at home 24 hours a day. And they're like, well, no, actually, like in a lot of states, we're still allowed to go outside, but, you know, um, only within a couple of kilometers. And, you know, okay, maybe people can't go to work and we have a huge amount of things. It's like, well, okay, well, entertainment stuff, we're still going to have a ton of things open. You can still go and buy books and watch stuff on Netflix. And there's 
still so much that people can do, but just the pure fact that we're we don't have the option to decide to not go, you know, to not go to work or to not spend that time on leisure. It's just, oh, okay, maybe try and fill the time. Is definitely like a very weird adjustment. I think particularly for Australians where we have like a massive country with heaps of room to do things. Mm. And then suddenly everyone living like on top of each other more so is uh, I think maybe a, a little more foreign to Australia than it is to a lot of other countries where things are a bit more built up. Yeah, they're already used to used to that sort of uh, that way of living, or just a, from a psychological point of view. And I think I think also like, yeah, I mean, to overly stereotype our culture. I mean, we're so we've always been known, and we sort of embrace the whole laid back, casual vibe and attitude <laughs> in Australian culture. And now we've been sort of forced to not be so casual and laid back about what we do. And I think that's that's been a big a big learning curve for a lot of people where. Definitely, it's sort of it's it's a it's a bit of an identity challenge, you know, where our identities of who we are is is really being confronted, and so suddenly it's like, oh, oh what do you mean? Like I've, I've, you know, my generations have always lived freely. We can do what we want. Now we can't. What's going on? So it's, uh, yeah, man. It's, I guess there's so many different storylines depending on sort of what what sort of uh, impact each individual person's had. But I mean, I guess it's. You know, I mean, everybody's going through their own version of, of this. I mean, I, I can only imagine coming out of this, and we've already seen a medal where, you know, I'm, I'm no doubt I reckon for the next uh, several years we're going to have so many pandemic-themed metal albums and songs <laughs> and things like that. But um, I reckon the movies that are going to come out of this and and the documentaries and the books and, oh, man, it's just it's going to be so much written about or, or, or created out of this, uh, this period of time. It's just, I oh, mean, it's going to be incredible. Definitely, definitely. Heaps and heaps of stuff. Hopefully not an oversaturation of pandemic-themed things as much as, you know, people utilising the uh, the time and the and the, maybe the different experiences to explore a few new ideas. Um, I think Cattle Decap kind of already had the pandemic thing covered oh, man. throughout the start of this year. <laughs> Best timing. I mean, I, talk about timing for a band. I mean, they come out, they do their tour, they get home pretty much or at least get out of out of Australia anyway. I'm not sure where they were up. I think they had to cancel the European tour or something like were, that. The the European tour was called the Euro Pandemic Tour, and they were <laughs> and they were just about to fly out for it when everything got cancelled. Man, that is crazy. I mean, it's, it's just oh man. But I mean, they yeah. I mean, they they had the theme in hand, ready to go. And obviously, when when everything started to happen, I mean, they I saw uh, I saw some merch and stuff that they were flogging out and donating to different things as well. So they had a nice little angle uh, sort of attached to it all. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, talk about right place, right time for them in certain respects anyway. I mean, obviously they've been impacted by not being able to continue touring and all that sort of stuff. But, of yeah, man, I mean, talk about uh, an unfortunate co- coincidence. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sometimes it's nice being wrong. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, um, yeah, oh, man, I, I, I think that might have been the last major show I went to as well um, before – before everything changed, I think, um, off the top of my, I could be wrong, but, um, yeah, I saw the Brisbane show. I was up in Brisbane and, um, it just happened to be up there for another reason and just was looking for gigs. And I didn't, I just got the dates mixed up cause I thought they were in Brisbane a day that it wasn't going to be there. And I thought, oh, they're playing, playing the Tivoli in Brisbane tonight. Oh, fuck. I better go. So, um, and it was fucking amazing. It was so good. And, um, and yeah, just, uh, stoked that, um, you know, I got to got to see a couple of gigs this year before uh, before everything sort of started to dry up. Yeah, yeah. I think the last the last gig that I worked was for the Darkness, 
and it was something something like 1200 tickets sold and this is the maybe the second weekend so like maybe the 12th or 13th of march when mm. it was starting to go like hey this is actually a really serious thing that we need to consider and they'd made the announcement that from the following day uh, capacities on live music venues and things were going to be cut down to under 500. Wow. I think it was it was something like 12 or 1400 tickets and I think about 700 people actually turned up to the show. Mm. Wow. So yeah, like four or 500 people at least that had tickets that they'd paid for just didn't come to the gig. <sighs> yeah, which was pretty wild. And that was the last show that I got to go to slash work um, before everything was just cancelled indefinitely. So so for you, I mean, you mentioned earlier, like you haven't, you haven't worked as such I mean, from what you've been doing since, since March. I mean, what, what have you done? I mean, without, I, I mean, you can tell me, you can tell me as much as you want. I mean, I don't want to pry too much, but, but like, you know, what's, what's the reality of, of somebody like you who, you know, relies on <laughs> live music to survive? I mean, what, what have you had to do to sort of adjust to it all? I mean, at first we were like, okay, well, it's going to be like a couple of weeks and then it'll start up again. So for the first few weeks, I just took it pretty easy, you know, cleaned the house, you know, exercised a bit, you know, restring all the guitars, you know, nothing, nothing outrageous, sit down and write a little, um, kind of just took it as like a, like a free holiday for two weeks or so. Uh, and then it became apparent that it was like, no, this is extending and the new dates for shows were starting to get announced for like September, October. Mm. I was like, oh, okay, so maybe it is going to be a few months. Um, and then they're announcing, you know, job seeker and job keeper changes. But at that time, we were actually a fair bit behind on the band tax returns, not my personal ones. Mm. So in order to to be eligible for job seeker or job keeper, I had to do something like six tax returns in in seven or eight weeks between the band and personal ones. And when you're going back, like some, I had to find, you know, like receipts for like seven or eight years ago from, you know, the very beginning of the band and trying, oh, that was, it was just like this tedious nightmare of accountancy um, and so, yeah, I spent a huge amount of time doing that, getting migraines, uh, you know, which were much more understandable at the time. Uh, and then, yeah, like moving house and stuff like that. So I've had a lot of things to keep me busy with, but nothing particularly productive. Just sort of, uh, just sort of hovering or just floating around yeah. to just trying to work out some sort of structure or anything. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I signed up, I thought, well, like a lot of other people working in the music industry went, okay, we're going to have a bit of time. It will come back, but maybe for now we go study. We go study something. And I thought, okay, well, I just spent months doing these horrible, boring t uh, tax returns. Maybe I should learn something about that to make life easier on myself, but also it's a skill I can apply somewhere else. Mm. Signed up for TAFE, and then they go, brilliant, classes started two weeks ago. And I'm like, well, you've enrolled me after the start date. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a bit shitty. Uh, and then I couldn't get a timetable or anything, and by the time it was three and three and a bit weeks in, and I still hadn't been able to get a straight answer out of everyone because I assume half the people working there in the admin side were working from home and, you know, things like that. It was, I just wasn't getting results. So I went, okay, cool. Well, I'm just going to defer for six months and I'll do it at the start of next year because it's still not looking like we're going to have at least enough shows for me to draw like a full-time income out of in the first half of next year. Mm. Um, I, I feel like I can say that pretty, I can make that assumption pretty confidently. Yeah. So I thought, well, yeah, I'll push that back. But then they, again, that's left me with the second half of this year, kind of trying to trying to fill the time. It's a, oh man, it's so weird, isn't it? I mean, 
Well, just on the TAFE thing, I mean, fuck, I mean, talk about just a useless bunch. <laughs> I mean, here's somebody who's, <laughs> who's like, hey, I want to actually take take advantage of your services, like help me here and, and just not getting any love. But I mean, what, what's the, um, what were you looking to do? do? Do accountancy or something like that, an accountancy sort of course or? or yeah, or something, something like that. Yeah, I was thinking maybe even if I could do this and not only would it help me with the small businesses of Earthrot and, you know, the... I'm a sole trader, obviously working in the music industry mm. as well. I thought this will help me run all of this much cleaner. But then hopefully, I mean, if I'm enjoying it, if I'm getting some good ideas out of it, I could use these skills to offer to, you know, other bands, other artists that are similar size that are kind of having trouble. Because, I mean, the reason I was so caught up is because I had no idea what I was doing and had to force myself to learn it. And I can only imagine that if, if I'm struggling with it, I probably every second of my friends that play in bands probably also have no idea what they're doing with it. And then some of the other ones will be absolutely on top of it. So maybe these are skills that I can use to help other, you know, other artists in, in the live music and kind of broader, broader art scene somehow. Maybe not. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> we never, we never got there. We'll see. We'll see in six months time. Yeah, that's right. Hold that thought for the time being. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just put a peg in it for six months. That'll yeah, be fine. Yeah. Oh man. I think honestly, I mean, look, yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, it's a massive gap in 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 sort of music. I think we're still. I think the next. I mean, this is this is me talking like an old man. The next generation of, of musicians <laughs> coming through. I think they're a little bit more savvy with it all, and they love they love the whole entrepreneur sort of vibe that goes with a lot of a lot of you know sort of pop culture and things like that now. But um, I think there's so many artists out there and and soul traders that just have little to no clue on how to keep their finances in check, not only from like a bookkeeping point of view and, you know, sort of just basic accountancy sort of stuff, but just even like just financial education about, you know, how to save money, how to put money away, how to maybe even if you are able to build up a little bit of money, you know, emergency funds or, or even, you know, stretching it a little bit, investing money as well, like things like that, you know, yeah. looking at it from a long-term point of view. And I think, I just think there's so many, so many artists out there who just, um, who struggle in that area. So I reckon, I reckon you're definitely sort of sniffing around the right area. It's just a case of, you know, when you're, when you're ready to do it, um, I think there'll certainly be a market for it. And I think also it will encourage, if, if there's confidence there, I think it, it, it'll encourage other artists who are hovering between a traditional day job and wanting to let go of that and plunge into being a sole trader full time and just, you know, jumping into the music industry or whatever version of creative sort of arts and, and making that a full-time income. If they've got the the skills to be able to do that and manage their finances and things like that, I think more people will actually take that step outside of whatever shithouse job they've been doing for the X amount of years. And it's just stable and it's just a bit of security and whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, I think, I think you're, I think you're, yeah, you, you know, Sniffing around the right area, I think it's. I definitely... feel like you've explained my thought process out loud much better than I did. Oh, there you go. <laughs> exactly how I've been thinking. <laughs> I guess that just circling back to one of the other odd challenges of being in isolation for so long, uh, just finding ways to keep the brain active. Yeah, it's really easy to waste time just on like entertainment and whatever, but finding something to keep your brain active and learning and just being used is not something I was prepared for having to change. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, 
one thing I do every morning, and I've only just been doing it for the past few weeks, uh, is um, I wouldn't even know what you call it. I was going to call it like a daily journal, but it's not really a journal, but it's Oh, I guess it is. Fuck. It just sounds wanky as, but it's like, it's just this yeah. notebook that I've got. And what I do is I just write two pages a day in the morning and it's basically a brain dump. It's not, it's not a diary. It's not like what I'm doing like yesterday, what I did yesterday, or what I'm doing today or anything like that. It's just basically what rubbish is in my head at the moment and what can I dump into, into words and, and physically writing out, not typing it or anything like yeah. that. And that's, I'm still sort of working out sort of what, what the benefits of that are, but I know a lot of people do it. Um, right. But what I've found is that I'm far calmer going into the day, especially doing it at the beginning of the day. And I mean, I, I don't know about you, but for me, like I've always got several things competing in my head all the time. And it's just, and to stay focused on something is, is quite tough. And especially if there's something that's troubling me a little bit as well, then that's, you know, game over. I've just, I've, it's a write off of a day. That day. Yeah. yeah. So writing out something and two pages, it could be absolute rubbish. It could be just bullshit chicken scratch in, in this little notebook. But, um, but once I've done it, it's just this, it just, there's just, it's almost like turning the tap on for, for a few minutes and getting some stuff out and then turn the tap off and then just a little bit more room mentally to sort of navigate the day and, and get some shit done. And that's been, I mean, that's been, it's appearing to be making a big difference for me. So we'll that see sounds, where it goes. sounds super helpful. Just a way to kind of like kickstart the brain for the day, but without necessarily needing it to be like useful or, or complete or anything. Like you don't need, it doesn't need to be solutions to problems at, you know, first thing in the morning, but yep. you can kind of, you know, get, get the motor running. That's it. There's no, there's no expectations of writing, yeah. You know, your memoirs or anything like that, or, or, you know, this is for reflection later on in my older years, or, you know, somebody else might read this one day. It, it's almost to a point where it's like, I could just get scrap pieces of paper and write out two pages on scrap piece of paper and then just throw it straight into the bin. And then that's it. It's done. Yeah. It, it almost to that extent. And, and it's just w without all the, all the pressures or the obligations that you create in your head to you know, do something to a particular standard, then you, I think it just, it just sort of takes all the pressure off. It takes the weight off your shoulders. And, and I'm all about starting my day, right. I've got to start it right. If I don't start my day, right. Then, then it's just, it's just that much more energy to, to try and get it on track and try and be semi-productive. I've got to really like the morning rituals and things like that are just what keep me, keep me sane. So, um, yeah, but I, I hear, I mean, you know, obviously it's a different experience for me up, up this way in Sydney, but, um, I think, just trying to find something to to keep keep things fresh mentally is is a it's a it's just a fucking daily struggle. Yeah, it was, it was just a yeah, just an un, unforeseen struggle. I think is usually working. I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin this by sneezing in a second. Mm. Um, <laughs> just by um, yeah, usually work between work and band and everything else, I'm more than sufficiently challenged. There's always something new. There's always something to do. There's always something going on. And I kind of had like a nice groove going. And once that left, it was like, okay, well, let's go into like a holiday mode, a little bit of entertainment. And then it went, okay, well, let's gear up to study. And then that's gone. And now it's like, okay, let's hang on for a few months. And I think, you know, in the next week or so, I'm hoping I can get my amp back and start, you know, start recording. But it's been kind of micro projects has been what's been keeping my brain going. 
like uh i mean moving house and things like that always always takes a ton of time but like building a new pc to set up to initially something that i can use to study on but now it's also a, a pretty high powered um like production rig for writing new music uh is like have been my kind of micro tasks that have mm. been you know you set aside a week and just go all right i'm gonna get this done i'm gonna do it to the best of my ability and once it's done i can use this to do another task or something like that and obviously i i, I didn't go down the road of baking but i did a hell of a lot of cooking <laughs> Not bacon from scratch, but yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of cooking in there too. Things, things that you'd go, okay, I'm not going to make that. I don't have the time to cook that. And it's, well, now we do have the time. Yeah. There's, there's a little bit more time up your sleeve. To- yeah. It's, yeah. It takes take four hours to make that meal. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. What's, what's four hours? Well, that, that's it. Yeah. I don't have to be anywhere. Like I honestly don't. Yeah. Maybe I have to be in another room to you know, press a button on my laptop or whatever it might be. But apart from that. There's, uh, yeah, there's not much else going on. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, from a more optimistic point of view, I think there's, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out the other end of this. I think watching, um, how people are adjusting and, and trying to manage their time and manage themselves during this period, and you're going to see the worst of it and you're going to see the best of it. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what people pick up, like what, what interests they're going to pick up, what like new... Maybe in some cases, new skills, as you said, like, you know, trying to get down the path of studying and upskilling yourself and things like that. And so coming out of this other end, um, potentially people are sort of finding new things to do or it becomes a new chapter in their life again, where they decide that they're going to go in a slightly different direction to what they were doing prior to, to all this stuff happening. So yeah, very, very interesting to see sort of what, what comes of it all, um, you know, setting aside all the, all the bad stuff. Yeah, on on a like on a note on that, like people developing like strange habits or strange hobbies. That's something that I've noticed. I thought at first that maybe it was a little bit of like you know in isolation, you go a little stir crazy and you just develop like a a weird tick kind of thing. But I posted just to my friends the other day asking if anyone's developed a strange interest, just something that you were not interested in before or didn't ever do before that you're doing now. And there were some pretty good ones. Like for me, I'd started watching. Um, the Formula One racing because <laughs> it's on really late at night when I'm up anyway. Um, it's I have absolutely no interest in cars or motorsports throughout my entire life, but for some reason, just like the technical aspects of it, it was just like such an engineering marvel combined with like a sport and a spectacle, and it was there and it was on, and I was like, okay, I can I can kind of get get behind this and then after a while i found myself like really curious about the like the aerodynamics and the way they build these insanely expensive machines that they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on every year um but the best one that i saw was from from colin from my guitarist and he just replied saying wood chopping (laughs) what what do you mean he's like i've been really into wood chopping okay that's the that's the weirdest one i've heard of he's like no you put on a heavy metal album go out the back and you know split some logs for the fire and it's it's really good i'm like all right that that kind of sounds soothing i guess you can get in a zone and just go to town with an axe yeah i get that i i i was initially uh picturing him sort of getting stuck down a a youtube rabbit hole where he'd be watching uh wood wood chopping videos but um it and and I could appreciate that to an extent, but I think um, I think that's awesome if he's actually physically doing it as well because, you know, I mean, yeah, I guess it, it would be quite, you know, sort of therapeutic and, uh, you know, get some energy going and, 
it meditate, um, you know, sort of a, a bit of meditation in a way, you know, especially, yeah. as you said, you know, throwing, a, throwing some music on in the background and just, just escaping for a bit while you slam some steel into a, into some wood. Yeah. Why not? Sounds appealing. I guess it's one of those things that you don't really find comfort in until you, until you find it, until it happens. It's like, yeah, yeah. I definitely not, a, not it's not like you, I'm sure Carpenter's probably got a lot less value out of, you know, slogging axes into wood, considering it's a thing that's a part of their actual actual work day, you know, working with wood. But, hey, maybe they do. But then, uh, yeah, I, I feel like that's a nice, a nice like, change to, change to, like, office office life and, you know, like, regular work life. Yeah, definitely. Probably be a workout too. Oh, yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, heaps of benefits. And I think... I mean, I know the way that my mind ticks with anything that I do, I'm trying to work out some sort of productive narrative in my head to go, oh, this is, this is helping me because of this reason. And, and, and I do it to my detriment as well, because I will do very trivial, dumb things and convince myself that it's a good idea to be doing something like just something useless. And I'll go, oh no, it's good because I'll, you know, like, so for example, I might go down some sort of, yeah, YouTube rabbit hole. I'll be watching something about... Soviet planes or, or like, you know, weird things from the Soviet Union or something like that. I'm like, I'm building my knowledge because then I've got better conversations. So, you know, eventually when we go back out and start mingling with other people, I have things to talk about, like interesting topics, you know, but really I'm just like, you know, not wasting my time because I don't, you know, I'm, it's not like I'm, I need to be anywhere else, but yeah, I find myself sort of going down these paths in these, these rabbit holes of just what would normally be useless information, but um, I'm trying to justify it to go, oh, no, yeah, it could be could be useful later on down the track. But the amount of stuff I find myself, I, I mean, I've, I've always sort of enjoyed watching shit online, but um, I've watched so many documentaries on the most random stuff um, over the past several months and just the weirdest topics. I mean, uh, even today I was saving videos in, uh, in YouTube to watch later because... Um, uh, there's a, a guitarist from Sydney. I don't know if you know him, but uh, James Norbert Avani, and um, instrumental guitarist. And he had a Insta story today, I think it was, and he got stuck on this YouTube thing of uh, watching. Oh, what was it? Something like big fish caught in nets. <laughs> And so he got stuck on that and I thought, oh, fuck yeah, of course. Like, how good would that be to watch? So then I went onto YouTube and typed that in and then found like 50 million videos of all these like amazing, like, you know, trawlers just trawling up all like the, the depths of the ocean with these giant fish and you know, deep sea creatures. And I'm like, save for later, save for later, save for later. So I'm pretty sure I know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow night. Friday night, I'm going to have a few drinks and sit down and... Uh, <laughs> Watch some creepy deep sea fish yeah. videos. That's but, fantastic. But um, but but that would be something I wouldn't normally have been doing. You know, twelve months ago, I, I for it, sure there'd be there'd be other things on my agenda to do. So yeah, I, I I can I can appreciate there'd be a lot of people out there sort of just finding themselves developing these really weird out there interests just to um. not not to pass the time, but just finding themselves sort of naturally in these weird spots, going huh didn't know that all right yeah and just to not not just like learning more for the sake of learning more but learning more about things that you would never have considered just on the planet like that's always good it's just enriching your life by learning something maybe maybe not particularly useful but you're still learning something you still you still gain something by 
bring drawing in more information about something. And hey, maybe you, you have a podcast and you can bring up the fact that you're <laughs> getting really into these documentaries. That's it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely you just proved the value of it by there you bringing go. it up now. There content, content, content. Yeah, <laughs> one of one of the best ones. I watch a lot of cooking shows. Yeah, right. Um, and like weirdly, some people watch a show and go, "Brilliant, that was great. I'm going to go make that and you know download the recipe or or something like that." I just absorb an extreme amount of cooking shows. And then go to the go to the shops and just buy whatever looks good. Get to the kitchen, and it's like subconscious knowledge of how to cook without having actually done anything. Yeah, cool. And so I just go, you know, I put things together and cook them in such a way, and my brain goes, "Yeah, I know this works." Well, I don't really know exactly how much. I'm just kind of watching, and then it comes out comes out okay, but not through any particular method. I feel like maybe that's the next step, though. Take the the like background knowledge that I've almost just like osmotically absorbed by having it on and uh, and put it to actual like next step up valuable use. I think that's a big thing. I mean, you know, as, and even what you said earlier about sort of just taking in things and absorbing things with no real sort of agenda or intention to sort of learn stuff, but just out of this natural interest, like this just, just interest. Cat-like curiosity. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then, and then just over time, it just becomes subconscious and, you know, yeah, you find yourself sort of understanding or linking things together later on and you don't know exactly where the reference point was, where, where it all came from, but you've, you've digested so much information over time that it sort of just starts to link in later on. Like the context sort of falls into place later on. You're like, ah, okay, that's, I know how that works, whatever that might be. So, um, yeah, definitely. And, and obviously that, yeah, it, it would, it would give you, it would give you the uh, sort of the stepping stone to sort of then, if you wanted to take that next step and make it a little bit more concise and clear and, and have some sort of plan in place to sort of, you know, work out exactly what you're doing, you've, you've got all this, all this context and, and background knowledge that will sort of give you that, at least that initial confidence to, to take that next step. Yeah, I think um, like the other one is passive absorption of second languages of like ex extra languages <laughs> is another one that's happened for me in the same way you know like you kind of watch tv and a lot of american shows you'll get quite a lot of spanish because you know like the southern states have the big mexican population and then the you know like florida and whatnot um and for a for a period of time i lived with my sister and her husband who were speaking speaking spanish as a first language wow um, while he was learning more English in Australia, and they kind of offered, "Hey, you know, do you want to do you want to learn a bit of Spanish?" And I was like, "No, I'm kind of I can't really commit to just sitting down and and learning a second language." But just the other day, I was watching something. I think I was watching an old episode of the X Files, and there was a conversation, and someone spoke Spanish, and without the subtitles, I knew I understood the context of what he was speaking about <laughs> just from a few words that I had picked up without even trying. And I've gone, oh, my God, like, I didn't need to turn subtitles on. I didn't need to go, well, I don't know what this guy's talking about. I'm just going to wait for the next scene for it to make sense. It just made sense to me. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's, like, the value of learning things even without that particular, like, necessary drive or focus is still valuable. Yeah. I I, I found myself, I mean, you know, we as a band and even myself have gone to Japan a stack of times over the years and, um, I've, I've found myself, you know, having stints of time where I've just 
watched you know japanese news or or some sort of weird japanese drama or something like that and Brilliant. i i know i know words here and there and i know phrases and i've i've learned a little bit but um you know what i've been able to pick up subconsciously of just listening to people you know and watching sort of things in context with words is is incredible and and if someone put me on the spot and started saying well you know you know put put a test in front of me i'd probably be pretty shit house at it but i think <laughs> If if I'm out and about and I'm talking to somebody or I'm listening into somebody talking uh, in Japanese, then I similar sort of thing. I sort of get a gist of what they're saying and I pick up, you know, maybe every every tenth word. But I kind of go, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, I can know that word. I know what that means. So I know the general theme of what the conversation is, and that's without any sort of, you know, for the most part, no, well, definitely no formal training, but really no sort of real intentional learning apart from a couple of sort of words and phrases years and years ago. So it's cool. Like, I mean, I think, you know, and for me, like I, I grew up hating being told what to do. Like I just, I, <laughs> I was the worst student. I, I just didn't like the whole teacher student vibe. And even to this day, like I have this deep down, resentment for, for that sort of stuff, which, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress. I'm getting there. I'm getting better, but, yeah, um, but I love, I love that whole, just, if you find something interesting, then you, you dive into it yourself and you just go in whichever direction makes sense for you and, and see where you come out the other side. And it might not be the most productive way of doing it. It might not, you might not get to the end goal, um, as quick as somebody with the intention and structure and plan in place of, of, you know, formal study. But I think, um, you know, that, that satisfaction and, and getting something out of it is, is pretty, pretty big. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's cool that you you sort of t- taken that approach or at least like aware of it where you sort of just, let's just take anything in, like anything that's interesting and just see, see where it takes us. Definitely. And especially when you were speaking about uh, like kind of learning things sort of passively in Japan, like on tour, that's totally a thing that happens while we're out there on the road. You learn so much in so many different places. Mm. And often, I mean, maybe you fly into Japan, you're there for five days, you play four shows, and then you're out again. And it's not really an environment where you can go, okay, well, I'm going to learn to have casual conversations with anyone. But you pick up a little bit each time. And then, you know, you have a couple of drinks and you hear someone order something and suddenly you know the word for that type of food or that item or whatever. And then each time it kind of builds and builds and builds. And I found a similar thing. Like every country we go to, every time, I understand a little bit more of the words being kind of blasted at us. And then eventually it's... It's like, oh, I can actually kind of get by here without a huge amount of trouble. But again, like if someone were to put pen and paper in front of me and go, you know, here's like a high school year 12 Japanese test that they would sit in Australia, I'd get a zero. I'd get an absolute zero. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I, don't think, I don't think learning in, in life needs to be as structured as it is in school when we grow up. Like I think that's not really, not really part of the journey is learning everything in the same manner. Oh, I mean, I think, I mean, the, just from me growing up and just seeing the different sort of, I mean, or just not even just growing up, I mean, just in general, like different, different personalities, different learning habits and, and different, uh, per, uh, just different ways that people sort of digest and take in information. It's just so varied. And I, I understand why sort of that traditional format of schooling has existed in the past and. And, um, and why it still exists now to an extent, but, um, yeah, it definitely is changing and has to change because, you know, the world's completely different to what it, what it was a hundred odd years ago where, you know, it was a, it was a very sort of clear line from, 
you know, step one of being being through school and going through a curric- curriculum, and then going outside of that and going to the work the workforce to, and workforce and working for the man. So, it was, and these days it's just a it's a completely different completely different climate. So it's um yeah it's I mean I I know there's a bunch of schools out there that sort of do very sort of non orthodox sort of teaching and sort of allow students to develop their interests and then double down on them and and support them and and give them the the opportunity, but um, you know, it's oh man, we're we're a yeah, long way I, off that being I, being the norm. I think as well, like as as I as I age and as I learn more things, I've learned a lot more about learning. And I used to see that and be like, well, how are those kids going to go and be able to do this? And then I reach you know thirty and I'm doing tax returns for a small business that I never learned to do. No one ever taught me that. School never said, well, hey, you're going to have to do this in your life potentially. That we're going to show you how. And then you go, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could have asked someone, you know, in a situation where I had the capacity to go, hi, a person who has a, a lot of general knowledge, can you help me figure out how to learn this thing that I want to learn? Because I plan on using it a lot. And that that just didn't really exist. And now there's schools that are kind of based around that idea. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure when I was, you know, if I was 15, 16 at school and had the ability to learn without like a really, really, really defined structure, I probably would have just, you know, gone off the deep end and learnt about something completely useless that would never have been good for me. But I know plenty of people that would have actually like hugely benefited from that that capacity. Mm, yeah, definitely. Were you um did you have sort of any idea sort of going through high school of of sort of where you wanted to go or or any sort of plan or were you sort of pushed into a particular direction that sort of just was good enough at the time um i I went to a school that was very much like you go to school you leave you go to university you leave you get a job you buy a house you have lots of kids you send them back to this school (laughs) um and i was always kind of like oh okay well yeah sure yeah i mean i guess and i uh i went through school kind of had a gap year, went to university because I figured, hey, that was a thing that I should do. Um, and then I actually pulled out of university having like colossal migraines, uh, a pretty pretty bad insomnia that was not diagnosed and I wasn't really kind of medicated for it or anything at the time. And essentially I was just a mess and there was no way I was getting through that year. And I deferred. And about a week after I deferred, someone sent me a message and they said, hey, what are you doing in two weeks' time? I'm like, well, nothing. I've just deferred uni. I'm doing absolutely nothing in two weeks' time. They said, well, can you fill in for us? We're touring Japan, and our guitarist can't make it. <laughs> Last minute, uh, you, you know, you, you've got about 12 days to learn the set, uh, and and we'll pay your costs. We'll fly you out and pay your hotels and everything. I went, oh shit, yeah, all right, absolutely. Like I'd never been to Japan. I'd never played a show outside of Australia. I don't even think I played a show outside of Perth at that point. Um, and then yeah, I dove into it. Went there, played a show. Um, we were super, uh, supporting Aborted, who were oh, one of yeah. my favourite bands of all time anyway. Nice. Um, so it was a very quick sell for them to convince me to come join <laughs> them. And, and yeah, I, ever since that moment, I was like, well, shit, okay, this is possible. I'm going to do this as much as humanly possible. And uh, I didn't actually go back and finish that degree. I decided to keep touring and find ways of working and learning about live music and touring and figuring out how to kind of piece them like squish them all together to to get me doing it but also to help me help other people do it so um yeah okay before before i dive into that what what was what was the degree that you were studying at the time i was studying chemistry at the time yeah right doing uh, analytical chemistry so it was 
super complicated stuff mm. and it's, it's like even today i find it so interesting like biochemistry is really really interesting to me but i think maybe i just didn't quite have the maturity to to understand how how i learned and how much time and energy i needed to put into it to actually like fulfill what the class was was requiring for me to get like passing grades to get out of it and instead i was like wow this is so interesting and then i you know go play two shows on the weekend and you know, show up to class on Thursday morning with a hangover and stuff like that. And wasn't, wasn't really a good student once I got to university because it wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't handling the content so well. And so rather than go, I'm actually struggling, I, maybe I'll get a tutor or maybe I need to cut down my load and do two units just so I can catch up on the stuff that I struggled with last year and then, you know, smash it out in four years instead of three. I just kind of went elsewhere with it and mm. didn't, didn't didn't do the right things, but I was just too immature to really know. Like I, I was a very very immature twenty twenty one year old. Was was it more so interest that drove you towards going down that path of 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 yeah that study, or was there sort of a a longer term sort of thought at the time before before sort of um, the opportunity to go to Japan came in? But were you sort of thinking, oh, this could lead me down a particular career path that was interesting <laughs> to you? Maybe, maybe. The, the weird thing was I didn't actually do chemistry in high school. I, I would have stopped doing chemistry in year 10. Mm. And so for me to decide after a gap year that I wanted to go and do a chemistry degree was um, was probably not super well thought out. But I think I'd just been reading books and found find things really interesting. Um, and there was no particular area that I thought, this is what I want to do. Like, this is, this is something that's going to be super valuable. Um, until I did my orientation. And one of the one of the professors, his like, you know, greatest or most known piece of work was um, the propellant in like asthma puffers. Okay. And like, I, I had pretty bad asthma as a kid, um, as a lot of people, you know, a lot of young ones do. And I remember, you know, having asthma puffers out there playing, you know, playing footy and playing hockey and stuff on, you know, cold Sunday mornings and thought this is a thing that's that saved lives, but not just that, it's also improved people's lives. You know, people that weren't at risk of, you know, full like lung collapse, but it kept me out there running around and doing something that I got huge amount of enjoyment out, out of. And this professor was one of the people that kind of led the research that created this. And I thought, wow, you can kind of, there's not really a limit to what you can do with this. I mean, I, there definitely is, but I was, I was like, there's a lot of different avenues that chemistry can take you to, yeah, there's like all sorts of things you can do. The biomedical stuff. There's so much mining in Western Australia. There was like mm. you know, metallurgy side of things, uh, food food science as well. Like obviously, I, I mentioned they do a, a ton of cooking, and that's pretty much just just chemistry. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, but there was yeah no specific singular thing that I thought that's it. I'm going to go into you know into like cancer research or something like that. Yeah, I guess I guess it to have to have something like that under your belt would just give you the leverage to be able to go in multiple directions and and go in a particular direction for a while and then pivot and go in another direction again and still be able to sort of leverage off those skills. So yeah. I guess that sort of, that makes sense. I was definitely of the opinion that whatever I started off being interested in was going to change throughout the course of the degree. Mm. And then, you know, whether I found myself in a job in that field or like another field of chemistry, um, 
that that was fine. I was like, there's there's so much in it. I'm probably going to take a while to figure out exactly what I want to do with my life. Yeah. Uh, and then along came this tour of Japan and it was like, no, what you want to do with your life actually isn't chemistry at all. It's riffs. <laughs> you want to do riffs for your life. And I was like, ah, oh, damn. All right. Oh, I love it. I mean, when when you sort of had this light bulb moment after going to Japan and sort of sort of making that making that call, I mean, to what level of intention did you have in your mind to sort of go, okay, this is this is definitely a big decision that I'm going to make. I'm going to I'm going to dive in into this direction and, and keep plowing through. Where was that sort of a really big thing at the at that point in time? Or was it something that sort of naturally sort of built up over over you know well, a series I, of I months think- or years? I'd been playing in bands for a long time. Um, like I would have started playing live shows at 13, 14 or something. Um, so it's always, but I, th- I think the whole time I had, you know, family and stuff like that would say, well, you know, think about the percentage of musicians that actually make it and, you know, who can who can get to be the size of these gigantic bands. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. Like it's pretty much impossible. And it was every conversation, it was squashed. It was like, no, you can't do that. You can't go play music. It's not a thing that people can do in today's society mm. without essentially winning the lottery. Um, and that tour made me realize that, hey, you don't have to win the lottery. You don't have to be Dave Grohl in Foo Fighters. You don't have to be like Ed Sheeran and like be discovered and become a number one hit to be able to go and play shows and spread the music that you wrote with your best friends to people in another country that love the exact same thing. Like you can go to Japan and play four shows. You can stay in like a hostel, you don't have to, you know, like not all of the music industry is five star, like MTV. It's not all that. There are like everything in between, you know, garage bands that never play a live show in their entire lives and still love doing it. And the like ultra mega gigantic stars and, you know, bands that have been doing it from since the seventies, there's everything in between. And I was like, well, I'm going to do something that's in between then, but I'm going to go do it. Was it, was it primarily to begin with just being the musician and just and making the musician aspects be the full-time sort of life that you would carve out or was it sort of a case like because obviously what you do now like you you know you're a musician you've got this band and, and that whole world's ticking and 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 moving along despite everything happening this year yeah. side note but sure. um you know obviously working in the industry you know and and working in different facets of the industry was that sort of an immediate thing in your mind or was that something no. that sort of naturally came later on? It's definitely something that naturally came later. Like at first I thought, well, I'm going to go do this and I'll figure out how to make that work later. Like I'll, I'll say, yes, I'm going to go, we're going to tour, we're going to go play shows. And if I need to have a certain type of job that allows me to have time off, I'll go get that kind of job. Yeah. If I can get a job in the, and I think working in the music industry definitely came after maybe two or three years of doing that. Um, you know, you, you play a ton of shows and realize there's people at these venues, there's people working with these touring companies that do this for a living. Like they, they aren't necessarily playing music, but they're bringing artists that they love to people that love those artists. And they're a part of, they're like a cog in the big machine that is bringing live music to life. Mm. And at, at some time over the last maybe two, three years, I just went, well, why don't I do that? Like the, we always say that the, the worst day on tour is still better than the best day of any other job that I'd had. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, what if what if the other job that I had is helping other bands on tour? Then even a shit day at that is still going to be the best day. 
and it kind of is and it kind of was obviously I'm, I'm speaking past tense because it's been six months but like having a really rough day at work when you're working a show for another band but you know like you worked off your feet you're underpaid for it but the show was sold out and everyone had the absolute time of their life is just the feeling that I realize I could be a part of even when it's not my band mm. Definitely, definitely a bit of a light bulb moment to be able to sure. sort of understand that this is, I mean, not, not that you're limited in a band, but you kind of are in, in certain respects and to know that it's not just that alone, you, there's, there's a number of other things that you can, you can do to keep the whole thing moving in a, in a direction that's still fulfilling for you and ticking those boxes for sure. is, is pretty cool. Did, was there, was there, I mean, there's been a lot of guys, you know, here in Australia, um, across multiple genres who've carved out great careers working in the industry in different pockets and, and different, uh, different functions. Was there anybody that you sort of, you know, uh, you know, sort of was influenced by or sort of, I, I won't use the word mentored or anything like that, but is there anybody who sort of looked at and went, fuck, I want to do what you do, or at least I sort of admire the way that you have embraced sort of taking on this sort of, this path? It's, I think I had a real, a lot of like really good experiences in Perth growing up around the Soundworks guys, like mm. Brad and Dicey. Um, the first rehearsal studio I ever went to was theirs. Uh, the first, you know, big tours that I ever went to when I turned 18, like the first big touring bands I went and saw were Soundworks tours. Yep. Um, and so they, they, they were pretty open to talk about, you know, like what they were doing and why. Um, and the, the, just the, the passion that they had for doing it is something that I thought, well, okay, like that's, that's definitely, that's definitely where I'm at with it. Like I love this as much as these guys love it. And it's a thing that they're doing for work. And I, for a, a short period, I was working uh, with Soundworks. They were letting me, uh, you know, send out some emails and help with the logistics side of things on a few tours. Um, just kind of opening, opening some doors and letting me have a look inside and see how it is that, that things ran. Um, I think the more I tour, the more people I meet around Australia, the, the, I think the more it became apparent that well, I wanted to be a, a part of that as well. Those guys, I think, have helped so many. I mean, I won't, I won't blow smoke up Dicey's ass or, or Brad's ass too much. <laughs> Dicey would like it too no, much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why he goes to that's why he goes to Bali so much. But anyway, that's another story. But um, <laughs> I'm still gonna have Dicey on the pod- podcast. I think he's getting a little bit upset with me because I've I'm I'm slowly carving my way through the entire Perth metal scene, and I think he's one of the last guys. Well, he's not, but he, he I'm, I think at times he's sort of going, Andy, like uh, we haven't we haven't had a chat yet. So uh, yeah, tap, Di- tap on the watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Dicey's got to come on, but I've had Brad on 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 the potty and. Uh, I mean, I've known those guys, I think, oh, geez. I mean, maybe when they first started, I think when they first started doing Soundworks, um, or roughly just around that time. So, um, yeah. And I mean, what I can't, I couldn't possibly think of better, better guys, you know, as far as having some sort of local influence. I mean, to be in Perth and I, there's definitely challenges of being in Perth and you know, being in a different version of isolation being over there. <laughs> but yeah. um, such a cool little scene over there and some amazing bands that have that continue to come out of Perth and, and to have those guys who just they they're not only passionate, they love metal and they love, you know, just music and, and all that, but they're such like they're business guys. Like and they they it, they've removed like they've separated themselves from the hobby and the passion and the love of music and 
embrace the whole, like, let's actually turn this into something that's serious. Let's, let's turn into a business. And I think that's where a lot of other like passion projects in the other parts of the country have, have sort of failed where they haven't sort of tran like transferred that over into, into more of a business structure and, and sort of yeah, definitely. scenario, but those guys have, have certainly, uh, certainly done great things. So it's cool that, yeah, it's cool that, uh, yeah, those are, those are sort of the guys that have sort of helped sort of just out of, even just out of association, but to sort of be able to sort of, you know, follow their lead a little bit is, is, is cool. Mm, definitely, definitely. I think that uh, I don't think there's too many underground bands in Australia in the like he really heavy heavy metal music scenes that don't owe a little something to Soundworks and now like Soundworks Direct as well with um with Dave exactly. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. And Every, everyone's been to or played or have harassed them with emails to get a support <laughs> for a show for something they have done uh, and will probably continue to do so. Yeah, and and super generous as well. I mean, you know, I know Brad can be pretty cutthroat. I've seen I've seen <laughs> I've seen different sides of Brad, but I mean that's why Brad's successful and he's done amazing things. But I mean, he both those guys are so fucking generous, and they will they will stop in their tracks to help somebody and give them information and and lift them up. And I think they they're very smart in the, in the sense that they know that if they can lift other people up, then it only it only just raises their own stakes and it helps them themselves. And I think I think having sort of Dave jump on board in the last few years with them, I mean, it's just like bringing in this fucking powerful weapon of of business where Dave's just. I mean, Dave was one of the guys for me. Like you know, years ago with with Lord, you know, I was sort of working out. You know, we were transitioning away from very sort of traditional management and sort of old school structures of how a band sort of functions and and we started to become a little bit more DIY and sort of being, you know, sort of taking the initiative ourselves and I was sort of looking around to see what bands were doing that already and Psychroptic was always the band that was several steps ahead of totally. ahead of us and so they were sort of the benchmark and I I always Yeah, definitely. And I I just thought okay, well what what's what's Dave doing? Like and and it was just and I think when they started to merge together, I thought, oh man, like you know, there's nothing that's going to stop these guys. There's at all. nothing they can't do now. Yeah, absolutely nothing. I mean, you got you got the you got this, you know, you got the promo sense of of Dicey and the logistics of Dicey with you know this this you know cutthroat business sense from from Brad and this very entrepreneurial sort of um, mindset from Dave and just all of them sort of melding together and and they've all got the same love and and they're very like minded and it's just it's like a yeah, fuck, I'm doing a plug for uh, Soundworks Direct <laughs> yeah. now. So. Yeah, .com.au. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, I think that's, I think it's cool. I think I think guys like that are, you know, it gives hope to to people that want to take that plunge and go, you know, fuck it, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to try and see what I can do and, and adjust. And I've watched them. I've watched them adjust in the last few, few months. I mean, them like leaning heavy into merch, like they've, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Going hard in that direction. And I laughed when I first saw it because I thought, of course they're doing that. Like, of course. And, and it makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's, it, it, I think it sort of lights a bit of a fire, um, underneath a lot of us where we sort of look and go, oh yeah, that's right. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So you guys put in, put out an album back in March, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, like 
appears to have done pretty well, but um, obviously sort of stopped in your tracks. I mean, great timing, put out an album and just really can't can't do much. I mean, we we got to play four shows, <laughs> uh, and that was and that was it. They were four fantastic shows, though. Well, that's really right. I mean, they were, so. at least they were duds. I mean, if it was if there were duds, you'd probably like, oh, thank, bring on the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> totally. No, it was it was it was weird, but it was it was it was fortunate timing for us because so many of our friends' bands have gone. Yeah, you know, we had an album coming out a mm. month, two months, three months into the pandemic, and you know, all they can do is sell online and it really, really bites the traction a little bit yeah. when you can't go play this music that you've just spent the last two years on to people. And, you know, you grow, continue to grow your markets all around the world when you're planted at home in, you know, Perth or Brisbane or Melbourne or whatever. How did it impact the band when it come, comes to sort of, I guess, you guys would have had plans, no doubt. You would have had some sort of campaign, you know, attached to the album, some sort of like 12-month, 18-month, two-year plan or whatever it might be. I mean, what what was like if we didn't have the COVID thing happening? I mean, what what would twenty twenty look like for Earthrot? Um, we were at a point where we had a few things locked in and a few things with like a, you know, like pencils penciled in, but like just about ready to sign. Uh, we were looking at, with the help of another promoter, bringing a band to Australia to do a like a you know a kind of seven or eight show tour. Um, a, a black metal band from Germany and we were like, this is going to be like another step up for us. This is something that we've wanted to do for ages, bring a band that we love that haven't been here before and do some killer shows together, like get in a van, drive around, play all these great cities and, uh, and you know, do something to kind of help build our profile with this new album, but also give something back to the fans that have supported us for so long by bringing a band that we know they will love as well. And that was something that we were just about ready to start putting money into their flights and things. I think we were probably only days away from dropping money on the, on their flights and visas when it mm. went. No, everything is everything is stopped. Put everything on pause. Um, we had a few a few tours of Southeast Asia. Like we had one lined up, and then that got canned. And then it was like, okay, but we'll, we'll go with the next one. And then you know that got canned, and now everything's just a question mark. And yeah, we're based fifty fifty between Perth and Melbourne, so mm. we uh, we're not really sure when we'll be able to do like even just we we just we don't really have a hometown show that we can do. Obviously, you saw Slave Fest over the over the weekend with a bunch of bunch of killer Perth bands playing, you know, a great sold out show, and we're itching to do stuff like that. Like I'd kill for just a hometown show right now, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, living across the country, that's not something we could do. And then obviously, Europe as well was like a extremely, extremely big focus for us. But uh, we can't really commit to anything at the moment with uh, with everything so uncertain. Yeah, it's a hard thing. I mean, you know, I see a lot of tours getting booked for for next year and. I look don't want to be the the pessimist in this, but um, yeah. I yeah I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough. I mean, even sort of looking at the tail end of next year, I think people are really in a struggle. Unless you're already in Europe, you're a European band yes. and you're within the union and things like that. Um, I think anybody else to try and, and get over there is just going to be a massive massive challenge. So for sure, I think it'll be a long time before we see US bands. Oh, um, yeah. in Australia again. But, for example, um, Vader have been doing shows. They've done a tour in Europe, um, socially distanced tour, you know, people in chairs at groups of tables and things like that. Um, and, like, some bands in Europe are still able to do touring, you know, with limited countries and cities and whatnot where things are, are permitted. 
but they're able to do something. And uh, we're a bit more spread out with a uh, much harsher lockdown at the moment. So it'll yeah. be a while, it'll be a while here. Definitely. I'm, one thing I'm kind of hoping though, is that once all this, all of the national, like our state borders open up, sorry, before national borders are really able to open for international touring acts, that we can get like a jump start on touring with the bigger Australian acts. Mm, definitely. I think, I think, I think this is, no, I hope I should say is that um, the Australian live music scene just gets a shot of adrenaline. I think we've, we've had, you know, pre COVID, you know, had, had a semi okay, healthy scene and in, in the country, but um, you know, if if a band's going to tour, Australian band, usually you're going to hit your your capital cities at the most, and then you might hit yeah. some of your sort of larger towns, maybe. Um, but man, I mean, I always you know I hear these stories of you know the generation before me that you know played every nook and cranny in every rural town in Australia, and they got into a van and they just slogged it out, and and we've we've done like a few sort of you know bushy shows out in the middle of nowhere, yeah. and and the the attendance and the feedback you get from those people they're like no one fucking comes out here the only people we get out here is you know like i don't know some sort of mainstream sort of you know alternative band every every five years or something like that yeah. and and no nobody else and i think what i would hope is that bands start to get creative and go well i can't i can't go to asia i can't go to europe i can't go to north america how can i create you know, a version of a North American or a European touring cycle within Australia where, um, you know, yes, we are sparse. Yes, we've got a lot of distance between towns and cities. However, you know, people might be really keen to just get the fuck out of their house no matter where they live in the country and just go to a pub and go and see a band play. And maybe that might bring back that really old school Aussie rock sort of live circuit, you know, music again. And definitely, I would absolutely love that. I mean, I my... I could, if any of the guys in my band hear me talking right now, they'd be like, oh man, I don't want to do that, man. I'll <laughs> fucking form another band. I'll do it. Whatever. I'd, I fucking love to do that. It's like a massive romantic sort of vision that I have in my head of, of like just hitting the road and just going hard and playing every little dirt town in, in the country and just uh, like almost Blues Brothers-esque, you know, just chicken yeah. wire across the stage and crossing your Some, fingers. Somewhere where they have both types of music, yeah. country and western. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think, and even suburban gigs, you know, um, you know, Melbourne's, Melbourne's always been, you know, the, the heart of live music and it has been for, for quite, quite a few years, but, you know, many of the, many of the cities, you know, are concentrated in in the inner suburbs of of the city, and there's very sure. few shows that happen in in the suburbs. And maybe it, maybe all these you know clubs and pubs that are sitting out in the burbs are now more open to having live music again because they just want to put something onto to bring people in. And so maybe there's an opportunity to create touring circuits within Sydney or within Melbourne where you can you can do you know, a several week tour of just the city and surrounding suburbs and not even scrape the surface of, of people. Uh, so the populations are there. It's just a case of just the logistics and putting the, the, the facilities together. So maybe well, I, I'd hope something like that happens and maybe, maybe just hope the borders stay closed long enough that, that people start to, <laughs> start to think, <laughs> think along those lines. It would be fantastic, isn't it? Oh yeah. It's a great idea. It is. I mean, but it's, you know, it's, it's just going to be, it's going to be 
I mean, there's so many just different factors to, to take into play. And For I sure. think, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but, um, I, I just love to see, I know, I just know from people that I talk to and people who are usually traditionally couch potatoes who just can't be fucked going out anywhere and to try and get them, get them to a show. And, you know, I might be playing a show and, you know, a mate of mine that I've known for years and, you know, you got to really twist their arm to get them off the couch to come and see me play. And it's like, oh, fuck, man, you, you're my mate. Come, come and, you know, I'll put you on the door. Fuck, come whatever it takes. Out. It's like, nah, yeah, I'm sitting at home or whatever. You know, those people are, are itching to go out and it might yeah. be, it might be short lived. You know, when, when people can go out, it, it might not last long, but fuck, if there's a window of even a few weeks or a couple of months where people are just absolutely just raring to go, there needs to be something in place that can just grab them instantly and go, here's the venue, here's the experience, here are the bands, here's everything. And just, you know, hopefully just win them over instantly. So then they come back again and you create this thriving, thriving industry in this country and keep it, keep it nice and nice and contained within the country until, until we're allowed to venture out. For sure. It's a very romantic idea. And I really hope we can get something like that happening. I really do. <laughs> Sounds like I need to make a, like a passionate Facebook post just to, you know. We do. <laughs> we can put some, put, some, put you in a suit and some Australian flags waving in the breeze behind you. And put the, yeah, the, put the anthem behind me. Yeah. yeah that's it. That's it. We'll, we'll get a fan. We'll set it up like a, like a music video shoot. Somewhere between that and like a political press release. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, I'll wait. Yeah, things to work on. I'll, I've I've written down some notes, a bit of homework. Yeah, yeah. put put that on the paper tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a wrap. If you want to reach out to Jared, you can do so by going to Jared Bridgman on Facebook, JB Makes Noise on Instagram, and of course Earthrot, earthrot.com.au. They're on Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, YouTube, etc., etc. I'm going to have everything in the show notes over at andysocial.net and andydaling.net. Nice and easy, and you should be able to click through on your podcast player. There'll be a bunch of clickable links in the description as well. Now, before we wrap it up, of course, Patreon, patreon.com.au slash andydaling. It's the best way to support this podcast, um, in addition to obviously doing all the usual social media love and rating and reviewing and subscribing and following and all that sort of stuff. But uh, Patreon is one of the best ways to support this podcast. Patreon.com slash Andy Dowling uh, is the place to go to and check it all out. And of course, a weekly exclusive Patreon podcast episode comes out every Tuesday morning, Sydney time, 6 a.m., straight into your ear holes, something for you guys to enjoy. And a little shout out in particular to the people that support on my top tier, my social circle tier, my $10 tier. These legends are massive contributors. They keep this podcast going. They contribute big time to the editing, the hosting, the gear, everything that goes into this podcast and just keeps me fueled to continue to uh, get so many different people on the podcast. So thank you so much to Andrew from Perth, Mick G from Sydney, Ash from Daniloquin, Dan from Dapdo, Rod from Rayleigh in North Carolina, Patrick from Canberra, Liam from Brisbane, Chris from Sydney, Brendo from Leeton, Tim from Canberra and James from Brisbane. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody else that supports on Patreon means a hell of a lot. Go over there and check it all out. If you've got any questions, hit me up and um, I'd love to see you over there supporting me, getting uh, your ears around that exclusive Patreon podcast as well. There's a lot of dumb stuff on there that you can uh, enjoy listening to. And uh, yeah, it just means a hell of a lot. And I love the fact that this podcast is being fueled by the people. I love it. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. Thanks to you guys. So there we go. Another podcast in the bag. Next week, we're going to have a comedian and I'm going to leave it at that. So until then, folks, take care. Ta-ta. 
Larry. Larry, please.